Well, today we truly have reason to celebrate. As we come up on Easter, next Sunday I'll be preaching on the resurrection. Today we're going to focus on the crucifixion. And Jesus' death was a death like, like no other. As we think about the death of Jesus, I've seen uh, movies and uh, plays and all kinds of depictions of the physical suffering of Jesus as he was whipped and beaten and then nailed to a cross. And all that is true, he did suffer horrendously. There was torture that took place in crucifixion. But what was significant about his death is not how he died, but who he was. Many people have died horrific deaths, and many people have suffered. I've known people to be burned alive in car accidents. And during the Roman times, we know that they tortured many people to death. In fact, the day that Jesus was crucified, two other people were crucified just on each side of him. But yet, as the one man beside of Jesus testified himself, they deserved to die, but Jesus did not. What's significant about the death of Jesus is that he had never in his life done anything to deserve death. So that when he went to the cross, he paid a penalty that he didn't know so that you and I could receive a gift that we don't deserve. Today we celebrate what the Lord accomplished for us and made possible through his sacrifice. Matthew chapter 27 is the passage that we'll be looking at. Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 45. I want to ask you to join me in standing as we read this together. Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 45. The Bible says, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. One of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook. And the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Let's pray together. Father, I pray today that every person present and every person listening and watching will cry out, truly, this was the Son of God. For we know that he was not only your son, but he is your son, and he lives today and reigns forever. Father, help us to put our hope and our trust in you and you alone. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.
You may be seated. Jesus' death was like no other. It was absolutely unique. And as we look through this account that Matthew gives of the crucifixion, we see three different significant events in which creation and others testified about who Jesus was. Creation testified to the uniqueness of Jesus. The Bible says in verse 44, 45, now from the sixth hour, and in their day, they begin counting at daylight and counted hours. So uh, the sixth hour is somewhere around noon. So around noon, the Bible says, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour, which is, is about 3 p.m. So I think most of us here today know that at noon, the sun is directly overhead. Many times it's the hottest part of the day. And at this moment when normally the sun would be directly overhead, beating down in that dry, arid climate, there was darkness. There was darkness. The sun failed to give us light. And creation testified to the uniqueness of Jesus. Some people say, well, it was probably a solar eclipse. The longest solar eclipse of the 21st century took place on July 22nd, 2009. This is the longest one. It lasted six minutes and 39 seconds. And yet the Bible says that from noon until 3 p.m., three hours, there was, there was darkness. There was darkness. What it must have been like to be there that day. And have seen the world go dark. Some of us who say, well, Pastor, it's, it's not really creation. Testifying to Jesus, it, it, it could have just been a, a solar eclipse. Do you know, I think that many times we have a, a, a complete misunderstanding of, of nature. People talk about the natural and the supernatural. As though the natural is everything that happens apart from God and the supernatural is every time that God intervenes and interferes with, with nature. And so they say, well, if, if we can find a natural explanation for why it was dark, then, then obviously we know this wasn't God acting in, in any different way. It was just something natural. Well, I don't know if it was a solar eclipse or not, and it doesn't make a bit of difference to me because I understand that all nature was created by God. And the Bible says that he is the creator and the sustainer of everything. So when we think about the world and we think, well, there are, there are natural things and there are supernatural things, all that means is that there's a way in which God normally acts and interacts with the world. And then every once in a while, he does something different and acts in a different way. When Jesus walked on water, yes, he defied the laws of nature because it's his laws. He can change them anytime he wants to. And on that day, the Bible says that it was dark for three hours. And I don't know if you've ever seen a, a movie of the crucifixion, but normally when you see those scenes, it's just broad daylight. But the Bible says it was dark 
There was no sun. And to have been there on that day and seen the world go dark, it would have been, it would have been quite shocking, wouldn't it? You know, the Bible says that Jesus is the light of the world. And, and it means that metaphorically, that he is the light in that he shows us how to live. And he shows us what righteousness looks like. But the Bible says that people rejected him because they loved darkness rather than light. The Bible says that people who love darkness don't come into the light because they don't want their evil deeds to be exposed. And all throughout the Bible we see God using darkness and light to represent good and evil, truth and confusion. The Bible tells us about Nicodemus who came seeking Jesus and thought he was just a rabbi. And the Bible says that he came at night and he was in the dark in more ways than one. And as Jesus, the light of the world was crucified, the world went dark. In verse 46, it tells us one of the sayings of Jesus that's recorded in scripture. It says, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. It's interesting that the Bible actually records in, in the original language instead of translating it for us, but, but then gives us a translation. It says, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This, this quote that Jesus said was in, is in Aramaic. And people heard, Eli, Eli. And it, and it must have sounded like Elijah. Because it says in verse 47, and some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. So they didn't even, they didn't even understand what he, was, what he was saying. But Jesus was, was quoting from the Old Testament. Jesus, you see, his birth, his life, and his death had been foretold all throughout the Old Testament through God's prophets. And when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He wasn't asking because he didn't know. He wasn't wondering. He was quoting the Old Testament prophecy, identifying himself as the fulfillment of it. You see, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he bore the wrath of of God. He was forsaken for our sake. Do you know that God is absolutely perfect and holy and righteous and just? This is why he can't just ignore our sin. This is why he can't diminish our sin and say, well, it's not really a big deal. This is why he can't just say, well, you're forgiven. Because he is also just and righteous. When Jesus died on the cross, 
He took all of God's righteous wrath upon himself. The wrath that the Bible says that you and I deserve and have earned because of our sin. And in that moment, as he quoted the Old Testament, it said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He pointed out to us that in that moment, he was bearing the very wrath of God for our sake. Throughout the Bible, the metaphor of a cup is used about God's wrath. God's wrath is talked about as being poured out. You remember when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane the night before his crucifixion, he prayed and he says, Father, if there's any way let this cup pass from me. The cup that he was speaking about was the wrath of God that was to be poured out upon him. You see, Jesus bore the wrath of God for us. The wrath of God was poured out on him so that the grace of God could be poured out on you. In that moment, he cried out and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As people heard Jesus say, Eli, which is my God in Aramaic, they misheard, they misunderstood. And so is the case today. So many people have no understanding of why Jesus died on the cross. And yet these people, they, they base their hope and their expectation on their misunderstanding. It says, some of the bystanders here, and it said, the man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But, but others said, wait. Let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. You know that the Jews expected Elijah to return at the time of the Messiah. And Jesus himself said that John the Baptist was Elijah. Not meaning at all that Elijah had been reincarnated but that when God said Elijah was going to return, he meant that one with the great power and prophetic preaching like Elijah would come with the Messiah. And here they are in their misunderstanding, waiting to see if perhaps Elijah would come. Maybe he, he truly is the son of God. We'll, we'll see if Elijah comes now that he's calling for him. These, these people who completely misunderstood what was taking place and yet seemed so certain in their understanding. There's so many people like that today. As I talk to people all over the community and, and ask people, well, what do you think that it takes to, to, to go to heaven? It's amazing the diversity of, of answers. Most people think that you gotta somehow earn your way a few people around the world are even looking to, to other gods. Some people believe that when you die, you just cease to exist. 
Some people believe that when you die, you reincarnate as something or someone else. And others believe that when you die, you go for before another God. As we think about where we live in modern history in this age of postmodernism, I think one of the greatest things that we've lost globally through postmodernism is confidence in reality. Culturally, and it's not just America. I, I was reading from a, a professor in Africa talking about how postmodernism was changing ministry there. It's not just in America. It's all around the world. The people no longer have confidence that there is a reality. Everything is seen as a subjective opinion or perspective. That there is no absolute truth that is, that is certain. And so people face death, putting their hopes in different things. Some in other religions, some in other understandings. But frankly, most people putting their hope in themselves. So they can somehow outsmart God, trick him, or perhaps even earn their way into heaven by being good. You know, the sad thing is, is that when we die, reality takes over. There aren't any alternate endings for life. When we, one day, when we stop breathing, and our heart stops beating, the oxygen ceases to flow to the brain, and we cease to live. We won't some reincarnate because that's what we thought would happen. And we won't some stand before Allah because that's what we thought was going to happen. And we won't some cease to exist because that's what we thought would happen. Our opinion and our perspective will in no way influence reality. And if we believe and trust God, we'll one day stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll give an account. What we celebrate today is that because he bore the wrath of God. If we'll believe and trust in him and receive forgiveness, we won't be judged for our sins because the penalty for them have already been paid by Christ. When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy that told us about how the Messiah would come and bear the wrath of God. The Bible says in verse 50, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Even in death, Jesus was in complete control. He didn't lose his spirit and it wasn't taken from him. He yielded up his spirit. Jesus was not a victim, my friend. Jesus willingly went to the cross so that you might have the opportunity to be forgiven and spend eternity in heaven. 
Well, the first thing that we see is that through darkness, creation testified to the uniqueness of Jesus. But the Bible tells us about another extraordinary event in verse 51. It says, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Throughout the Old Testament, there were two places of worship. First, there was the tabernacle, which was uh, basically an elaborate tent that could be moved through the wilderness with God's people as they moved from one place to the next. And then later, it was Solomon who would build an actual temple in Jerusalem. And each of these places shared some things in common. One of the things they shared was that the, the inner place called the Holy of Holies, where God's presence would come and dwell. There was, there was a veil that separated the people. Most people would never see the Holy of Holies. Many priests would never even see the Holy of Holies. Only once a year would one priest enter the Holy of Holies to offer sacrifice. One priest once a year. The people were separated from God. The Bible says in Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2, behold the, land, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But listen, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your iniquities, that, that's another word for sin. And it says, have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Sin separates us from God. The Bible says we're, we're an unrighteous and unholy people. That's why in the Old Testament, not even the priest could just wander into the Holy of Holies and, and speak to God. There was a separation but the Bible tells us that on the day that Jesus died, that that veil was torn. And it was not just torn, it was torn from top to bottom. We didn't tear the veil so we could get to him. He tore the veil so he could come to us. The Hebrews talks about Jesus bringing this about. In Hebrews 10, 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. On that day, even the temple testified to the accomplishment of Jesus as the veil was torn from top to bottom. And that separation that was caused by our sin was overcome by the death of Christ. You see, the Bible tells us that when God created Adam and Eve, that they had unhindered fellowship with God. 
but sin separated them and all of us from him. And God has been working ever since to restore all that was lost. And one day, one day we'll stand before God and face to face we'll have fellowship with him like he intended. And as Jesus died on the cross and that veil was torn from top to bottom, it was just the beginning of the reunion that sin had separated. The Bible also tells us about another phenomenal event. You see, the creation testified to the uniqueness of Jesus. The temple testified to the accomplishment of Jesus. And the open tombs testified to the power of Jesus. The Bible says in verse 52, the tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. The raising of the dead gives us hope that we too can be raised. We see people all the time trying to find ways to cheat death trying to extend their life. Some people even uh, having their bodies frozen just in case science develops a way to bring them back. My friend, you and I can't cheat death, but Jesus does have the power to raise us from the dead. And on the day that Jesus died, the Bible says that many of the saints came out of the tombs and were seen in the city. And the Bible says, and appeared to many. First Corinthians tells us about the hope of the resurrection. It says, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. The first fruits are the, that, that, that first fruit that comes along with the harvest. It's the first fruits that was celebrated that this was the indication of the harvest to come. And as Jesus would three days later be raised from the dead, the Bible says the tombs opened and many saints came and were raised from the dead and were seen by many. How do we know that Jesus has the power to keep his promise and to one day raise us? We know because he raised himself and he raised others. Having seen and heard what took place at the crucifixion, How could a person not believe? That's exactly what happened to the centurion who was in charge of the execution of Jesus. It says in verse 54, when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the son of God. Jesus' death was, was a death like no other. Jesus, he bore the wrath of God. He paid a penalty that he didn't know. He 
made it possible for an unholy people to have unhindered fellowship with a holy God. And he gave us the hope of the resurrection. But I want you to understand this. Jesus' death will benefit you in absolutely no way unless you believe and you receive the gift that he offers. If I could believe for you, every person in our nation would be saved. But I can't believe for you. Neither can your parents. Neither can your friends. You must decide whether you believe or not. And you must make your decision whether you'll receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. When Jesus came and he died on the cross, it was for you. It was so that you could be forgiven and you could have hope. So today I want to invite you to receive that gift. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song. And as we sing that song, If you've never received the gift of forgiveness, instead of singing, would you just pray and talk to God? Tell him that you believe that Jesus died for you and that you want to be forgiven. This is all it takes for us to receive the gift. Say, Pastor, why why is it so easy? Well, it's because you're not doing anything. You're not accomplishing it. You're not earning it. God has done everything for you and he's begging you to simply receive the gift that he offers. For those of us that have already received it, let us live for him. Let's pray together. Father, I pray today that you give us faith to believe and to accept what Jesus did for us on the cross. Lord, I pray for any person that is trusting in themselves, trusting in some religion, trusting in some works that they've done, trusting in their parents' faith, trusting in their church membership. Lord, I pray for for anyone like that today, that they would now trust in you. Lord, as we sing, draw us into a place of worship, for it's in Christ that we pray. Amen.